Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 8.55am if you're listening there. My name is Lauren and I'm joined by Rebecca in the studio today. This week is Perinatal Depression and Anxiety Week. It's held every year from the 15th to the 21st of November. It's a chance to raise awareness about mental health issues arising during pregnancy and childbirth. So today on the show we have Nicole from the Centre of Perinatal Excellence, COPE, which is a non-for-profit organisation aiming to reduce stress and help provide hope for those struggling emotionally during pregnancy and early parenthood. Thank you so much, Nicole, for joining us today. Thank you. So, Nicole, what does your role at COPE involve? Uh, well, look, I developed COPE, established COPE around in 2013 because I could see a real need for um, more information for women going through pregnancy and their partners and also in the first 12 months after having a baby particularly. And this is the time known as the perinatal period when we know that women are most at risk of developing mental health problems and often for the first time. Um, it was very clear to me that... Um, uh, you know, women generally would not identify signs and symptoms of mental health problems in pregnancy and postnatally because they view their symptoms in the context of pregnancy and um, or life as a new mother. So that's where we really saw a niche role for a new organisation, which really is about um, presenting in the information in a way that um, people can relate to. So my role at COPE really is around... Um, obviously in the first few years establishing the organisation, but in particular we've um, got extensive information for women and men and health professionals. Um, we manage a number of projects, so at the moment we're um, rewriting the National Clinical Guidelines for Australia, and um, that will inform about best practice, for example, what what is the best way to identify these con conditions, should we be screening, um, are these particular medications safe in pregnancy, all those sort of questions. Um, and also we're doing some exciting work with um, trialling new digital uh, digital approaches to screening. So rather than pen and paper, we're looking at, uh, we've developed a platform called iCOPE, which looks at digitising screening so women can be empowered with information and we collect data in real time. Mm, that's, that's really amazing. interesting. So um, perinatal is an umbrella term that includes both the time during pregnancy and the time after the baby is born. So what sorts of changes can happen during this time in regards to a parent's mental health? Uh, look, there are so many changes that happen and any parent out there who's, um, you know, are trying to get pregnant or is pregnant or coming up to um, having their baby or had a baby will understand that, you know, when you are going through parenthood or um, trying to, to go through parenthood, um, there are lots and lots of challenges and lots of things you experience, whether they're hormonal changes, changes to your lifestyle, changes to your relationship changes to your work and how you see work and changes to your identity and how you see yourself not so much as an individual anymore but now as a as a mother and not so much as just a couple but as parents so there are so many different changes on so many different levels and this is why it is such a period of you know such great adjustment and it's for this reason that we know that um, this adjustment is easier for some than it is for others and that huge adjustment uh, does place some people at greater risk of developing mental health problems at this time. Mm. 
Thank you for that. Is there some sort of line between mental illness in general and perinatal mental illness? And what is the distinction between the two? Um, So mental illness can occur at any time in a woman's life or a man's life. Um, But we know that uh, the perinatal period, so pregnancy and the first year after having a baby, is the time that she is most likely um, to develop mental health problems. So um, in when you look at the uh, symptoms and nature of the disorder, they're not actually clinically different from depression or anxiety, for example, that incur- occur outside of the perinatal period. But um, the way that they're viewed by consumers and the context in which they're viewed is quite different because people are often putting these signs and symptoms down to part of having a baby. So, for example, we've done a lot of research with uh, women who have experienced uh, pregnancy depression, for example, and they said they didn't identify the symptoms because they thought it was the pregnancy hormones. They just put it down to the hormones. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, in the postnatal period, they put it down to, well, what did I? What did you expect? And other people even say, well, what did you expect? You're having a baby. Of course you're going to feel that way. Or they put it down to, again, the hormones or it's sleep deprivation or it's just part of adjusting. So it's very important that we position the information in a way that's relevant to women and positioning that information in the context of what is going on for them when pregnant or having a baby um, is so important. So although clinically they are no different um, to uh, these conditions outside of the perinatal period, for the consumer experience and the way they view them, they are quite different. So we need to be able to make sure that we're presenting the information in a way that they're going to understand and there's going to be receptive to that information. Hmm. I think that's a really good distinction to make because it is quite there can be not a lot of difference at times and I think it comes down to how people identify with it as well. So it's really important. Um, But does having a pre-existing mental illness mean that you're going to be more likely to develop some sort of mental illness during the perinatal period? Look, it certainly is known that um, that is a major risk factor. So if you have a personal history of anxiety or depression, for example, your likelihood of developing um, anti or postnatal depression and anxiety is higher than it would be for someone who has never had a mental health condition before. So certainly it is a risk factor. It is a known risk factor. And it's probably the strongest risk factor. Other risk factors that um, or factors that we know increase your risk of depression and anxiety in this um, time is things like um, not being in a supportive relationship, not having access to practical and emotional support, um, having history of drug and alcohol problems, being exposed to family violence, having uh, not only a personal history but a family history of mental health problems. There can be a genetic component there. Mm. Um, So these are the different types of risk factors, but of all of those, certainly having a personal history or even a family history of mental health problems is the most likely risk factor. And that's why a lot of health professionals will ask you when you're pregnant or in the postnatal period if you have ever experienced conditions like this before, because it just um, enables us to identify whether you might be at risk and make sure that you have access to information and support and care should early signs develop. Thank you for that. Um, so having a child obviously can be quite daunting for a lot of parents. How can you tell when things have developed into a perinatal m- mental illness and what are the warning signs? Yes, look, that's a very, very good question because quite often people do put the early warning signs down to just part of having a baby or just part of being pregnant. So that's where it's really important that we understand more about what are the actual symptoms of conditions like anxiety or depression and how do they differ from just general stress or adjusting. So generally as a um, 
um, point of difference, I would always say it's looking um, at uh, when the person reaches the point that they feel like they can't cope any longer. That's um, that's often uh, a way that the women describe it. But it's really when you look at it in terms of symptoms, um, broadly speaking, if you felt, for example, with depression, um, if you felt down or sad or down for more than a week, seven seven days in a row, um, or two weeks or more, plus experiencing a range of other symptoms like finding it hard to sleep, even when you've got the chance, not getting enjoyment out of things that you used to get enjoyment out of. These are often early indicators that a person might be experiencing depression. Similarly with anxiety, we all know what it's like to feel anxious from time to time. Uh, If you're sitting an exam or walking up the aisle, it's natural to feel a little bit anxious. But some people feel these ongoing feelings of anxiety all the time without necessarily having a reason. Um, And they don't go away on on their own once a stressful situation has passed. So these are signs of an anxiety disorder or generalised anxiety. So if you're experiencing these sort of symptoms, generally for generally in the perinatal period, we say if you've experienced that for around seven days, uh, talking to your health professional is important so that we can identify these conditions as soon as possible and make sure the person gets the help they need. Mm, it's probably really important to catch it early as well so it doesn't develop into anything really, really serious or really harmful. Absolutely. And that's what we've found, um, that when we asked women who'd experienced anxiety or depression at this time, 74% of women said they did reach the point that they couldn't cope any longer before mm-hmm. they got help. And um, and that was for a range of reasons. First of all, not identifying the signs and symptoms that we've just talked about, but also um, uh, often feelings of shame or uh, failure or disappointment that this hasn't been the experience that they wanted it to be. And um, that often prevents people from speaking up and getting help earlier than they should have maybe. Hmm. So for something different, um, IVF treatments and infertility and miscarriages can be a big source of stress for women who are trying to become pregnant. So how are these things likely to affect a woman's mental health? Yes. Um, well, first of all, uh, miscarriage is can be very very distressing, and it is a time, um, particularly if you really wanted the baby um, and were trying for a baby, it can be a time where you certainly experience. Uh, grief and disappointment and that sense of loss and um, that is a very common and natural occurrence to that situation. For people going through IVF, um, sadly miscarriage is often part of the journey as um, often uh, attempts of IVF haven't been successful. and I think the, the strain and stress and risk of mental health problems is particularly high for people going through IVF because there's that fine balance of trying to live in hope that, you know, and be positive that this is all going to work, but also preparing yourself in case for disappointment mm. um, so you can't get too excited. So that's a very stressful situation to be in um, in terms of your emotional and mental health. Um, and on top of that, there's all those other pressures that come with going through IVF. Like quite often there's a lot of pressure on the couples, um, they put pressure on themselves, the pressure on them physically, emotionally, um, and um, often um, financially as well. Going through IVF can be an incredibly ex- expensive experience, and that's putting additional pressure on that couple all the way through um, as they're trying to have a baby. And all those factors together certainly increase their risk 
of mental health problems. But unfortunately, at the moment, a lot of IVF providers of IVF services don't assess mental health at all. So we know that, for example, the, the clinical guidelines recommends that every pregnant woman is screened during pregnancy and in the postnatal period to see if they're at risk of or experiencing mental health problems. And I certainly believe that the same should occur for those going through IVF treatment because they are at significant risk. And by identifying and treating underlying anxiety and depression and stress that might exist there, not only are we going to improve the well-being of the parents, but potentially we can actually increase the success rate of the IVF at the same time. It's mm, amazing. Um, so postnatal depression is typically talked about more than antenatal depression, even though one in 10 Australian women will experience some form of depression during their pregnancy. Why do you think this is? Look, I think there's a, a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, postnatal depression has just been a, a term that's a, been around longer and people are more familiar with it. Um, it's often in the media more because people could probably associate um, you know, people having young, very young children or babies and getting depressed. So that sort of came together and people started talking about postnatal depression. Um, it was really only when um, research was done back in 2000 and 2001, 2000 to 2005, that for the first time we actually really looked at rates of anxiety and depression in pregnancy. And um, so a very large study done with over 55,000 women back then um, revealed those very statistics that up to one in 10 women do experience depression during pregnancy. So before that, it wasn't really spoken about or thought about, um, much the same as um, depression going through IVF is not really discussed at the moment or really given the attention it warrants. Um, so it's really just, I think, history. There certainly is more awareness now and having things like the clinical guidelines, which recommends that every woman is screened during pregnancy, really is um, helping to raise the profile and the awareness around antenatal depression uh, as well as postnatal depression, which is more established. Hmm. So we've said that one in 10 Australian women will experience some form of antenatal depression, but also one in 20 fathers will experience some form of it. So how... How is it different when a father is experiencing some form of perinatal anxiety or depression? Well, first of all, um, there's a number of things. I suppose uh, for women, often the signs and symptoms are put down to the physical changes of pregnancy or having a baby, so they're misread. And they probably don't exist to the same extent with the man who hasn't physically um, had the pregnancy or the baby. Um, but for men, I think there's other challenges. Uh, the way they might um, demonstrate or show the symptoms might be different than they are for women. So quite often men who are experiencing depression might show symptoms in terms of feeling very um, aggressive or angry, um, frustrated, um, rather as opposed to women might be more teary and emotional, for example. And often people don't think of that necessarily as a sign of depression, so the signs in men might be missed. Um, certainly some research we've done with fathers showed that often uh, for men, they felt like they had to be the rock or they had to be the strong one who supported their wife. Um, and because she was the one having the baby, they almost felt like they didn't have the right or why would I be depressed or I don't have the right to be depressed, I haven't gone through the same changes as my wife or partner. So um, often the signs in depression in men get missed um, and that's why in some settings, um, we know, for example, also that if a woman is experiencing anti or postnatal depression, the likelihood of her partner experiencing depression is 50% higher. So those men are at particularly greater risk. And um, 
This is reflected in some settings, for example in WA in their antenatal major maternity hospital, if the woman is screened and identifies as having antenatal depression, um, the father is automatically screened at the same time. So that's how we can actually pick up these conditions in men. But we do need to be talking about these issues with fathers and providing them with information. Often they don't go to the antenatal appointments, they're not involved in the same level of care and um, contact with health professionals, so they often get missed as well. So raising awareness of the issue amongst fathers and fathers-to-be is very, very important. And, and I think it definitely is important because you always hear um, about this the women's side of it and, like, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about, like, how the fathers cope in yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so just going into the treatment side of perinatal depression and anxiety, how can it be treated and is it accessible and affordable for new parents? Mm-hmm. Well, the first of all, um, the main thing when it comes to getting treatment is get help as soon as possible. Um, and the faster you seek help, um, the faster you recover and the greater range of treatment options you will have. So for example, if someone has mild or moderate depression, um, they will be potentially able to benefit from psychological treatment like therapies, which really help the person to identify their thinking and their feelings and how this is contributing to their overall mood and feelings of well-being. And these types of therapy give people a sense of control um, over what's going on and um, give them a range of activities and things to start improving and lifting their mood. Um, And generally they're called cognitive behaviour therapies and that's a type of psychological treatment, but there are a couple of other derivatives of that as well. Once a person gets more moderate to severe depression, and particularly if they have a personal history of mental health problems, um, certainly, and if the condition is more severe, um, it's often necessarily to uh, have medication as part of the treatment. So things like antidepressant medications uh, can be safely uh, and effectively used both in pregnancy and the postnatal period. And um, I see a lot on social media where people have often been prescribed um, antidepressants Presence either during pregnancy or postnatally, but they're fearful of taking them or they're fearful that it will have some negative effect on the baby or that it's not safe to take in pregnancy. And that's not the case. There are safe and effective um, medications that you can use. Certain classes of medication for anxiety and depression called SSRIs are able to be safely used. And in fact, uh, while not often spoken about, often not taking medication when you are experiencing very severe symptoms, that too can have a negative impact on the baby. So we know, for example, that uh, stress hormone called cortisol does cross the placenta during pregnancy if a woman is experiencing quite high levels of anxiety and depression, and that can have a negative effect on the growth and the development of the baby. So certainly, just like you know, if you had untreated high blood pressure or diabetes, um, we need to test and, um, and assess and provide the treatment interventions. And for some people, just like those conditions, medication is a necessary treatment. Mm, So it's very, very important to keep up with yourself and know what your body's going through because otherwise the baby's going to be the one that's harmed as well as yourself. That's right. Looking after yourself is part of looking after your your baby and your family. Um, You know, if you're not not well yourself, um, you won't be able to then properly care for your baby. So really not just focusing on the physical symptoms, particularly in pregnancy, everyone is so focused on the physical changes, which of course, because it's so amazing, but we've got to also um, really 
get people thinking about their emotional and mental health, monitoring how they're going. If you know someone who's pregnant or had a baby, to track how they're going. Don't just focus on the baby. Don't forget to ask the mother and the father how they're going with the big challenges and changes that they've come across. Yeah, Yeah, it definitely sounds like self-care is really important. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And being aware and educated about the signs and symptoms, knowing what to look for, and importantly then knowing where to go. So the other part of your question was around are treatments affordable? Uh, Generally under Medicare, women are able to access both um, medical treatments and psychological treatments for up to 10 sessions. Um, So there are um, safe and effective treatments which are available. And more information about all of that and everything we've discussed is on the COPE website. Uh, So people can go there for more information about how and where to access those treatments. Mm, And we'll make sure we'll put up some links to that when we upload our podcast to the 3CR website and to our website as well. Um, So adjusting to parenthood is a very challenging yet exciting time. So what can new parents do to ease the stress of having a baby? Uh, Look, I think the the most important thing is to... um, as we just said, to be aware of uh, the changes, both emotionally as well as physically. But I think really important is being aware of your expectations around pregnancy and becoming new parents. Um, You know, you only have to look around very quickly, flick through a magazine or look at an ad on TV, uh, you know, about a commercial around babies or parents, and everything is just so beautiful. You know, they're beautiful images, everything's perfect, everyone's radiant. Um, And of course, that's not the reality of parenthood. Um, So I think it's very, very important that people are realistic about their expectations and um, really you can do that by talking to people who are parents about the challenges. Having discussions like this, listening to other people around the realities of parenthood because at the moment if you don't have a realistic perception about what parenthood can actually be like, when women are not experiencing what they perceived it to be like from all those advertising and messages that they um, have taken in, often they feel like they're failing or they're feeling like it's just happening to them. And in some ways, I think social media has actually made this situation worse because people are posting quite often about how perfect everything is because they worry that if they don't project that they're doing well and they're enjoying motherhood, um, that it will reflect badly on them as individuals and as mothers. So people... Um, you know, need to get real about the realities. As we say, it's all about keeping motherhood real and keeping fatherhood real, talking about the highs and the lows um, and letting people know you're there for support, being aware of what to look for when things aren't going well. Um, But certainly right from the very beginning, I think being very aware and conscious of your expectations and how they might differ from reality is number one for looking after your own emotional and mental health. Yeah, it's a really strange phenomenon. It's something you wouldn't have seen 20 years ago, all the like motherly vloggers and bloggers and stuff on the internet just posting about their lives and oh, it's just like crazy. Yeah, I think in a way it's also kind of like you compare yourself to like how they're experiencing motherhood and if they're having an amazing time and you're not doing so great, I think that would like if I if that was me, I think I'd be pretty affected by that. Absolutely. Mm. And look, I've seen this firsthand in um, things like mothers groups. So mothers groups can be fantastic. It's a way of connecting with people, people who are going through the same thing at the same time as you. And it can be a really cohesive, important, supportive network. 
But I can also see in some cases where they've become very competitive, where people start measuring themselves up against other people. And because people are worried about being judged, people are often putting on a facade that everything's perfect because, look, I'm doing a wonderful job. I'm a wonderful mother. But the truth and the realities and the opportunities for support then are not there. So... um, That's where I think it's really, really important that we um, be open and honest about all the challenges that can come with having a baby. And um, I think it's very important to recognise as well that for some, the journey to parenthood will be easier than it is for others. Just like getting pregnant for some people is easy, for some people it was too easy. Um, you know, the birth experience for some that went was very straightforward. Other people have had complications. Some people sail through pregnancy and feel great. Other people struggle with morning sickness. Some people have um, problems with breastfeeding. Others seem to be able to manage. It's different for everyone and we need to stop competing as women and as a society. Make sure we're not competing with each other and being aware of the way that we're talking and being there to create an environment that's supportive and not competitive so that we really encourage people to speak out um, and let them know that we're we're there for support and we acknowledge that motherhood does have highs and lows and for some people... It's harder than others and we can support each other through that journey. So what can friends and family do to help make the transition into parenthood more comfortable for the new parents? Yeah, look, I think um, one of the things is keeping your eyes and ears open and being aware and not forgetting, first of all, to ask mum and dad how they really are. Often there's so much focus on the baby, um, but not forgetting about mum and dad. I think um, particularly uh, we often get, we have specific pages actually on the website around advice for family, friends and grandparents. Um, I think sometimes... uh, in, in the world these days, grandparents used to play a very important role when babies came along because they were the ones who were the holders of all the knowledge. Whereas at the moment, people are Googling everything and finding everything else out for themselves and not necessarily going to the grandparents. And I think in some cases that often leaves grandparents feeling like they're not valued or their advice is not valued. Um, and um, I think on the other side for grandparents too is um, it's natural to want to give advice based on your experience and often sometimes that's not welcomed by the individual and that can certainly cause stress and strain in the relationship. Um, so I think being very open and having those conversations early about you know how you can support each other, what's helpful, providing practical support is very helpful You know, right at the beginning, whether it's making the odd dinner or offering to take the baby for a walk, just little things like that can make such a difference um, in terms of just giving the mum and dad some breathing time or time to themselves. Um, They can be all very, very important for attaining your own emotional and mental health, but also your opportunity to bond with your your, um, children and your grandchildren. So just quickly, what services does COPE offer for a mother or father who believes they might be struggling with being a new parent? And what was the website as well? that you were mentioning? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the first thing that COPE offers um, expectant new um, or hopeful mothers and fathers is number one is information. Information and knowledge is power in this state and um, it's a time when we really need to be aware and be aware of expectations, be aware of high quality information about what's really going on um, and be able to know where and how to access safe and effective treatments if that's needed. So COPE has a very extensive website, www.cope.org.au, where we provide a lot of information at each stage of the journey, right from preconception and thinking about having a baby through to 
conception, pregnancy, coming up to birth, and then in the postnatal period. So we've derived a lot of research from consumers, um, from women, from men, mothers and fathers, grandparents, family, friends, and health professionals about all the things women and men said that they wish they knew before they embarked on the journey of parenthood. So we've made sure that all that information is up there. Um, importantly, all information is underpinned by the National Clinical Guidelines, so you know it's high quality because you've got to be careful when you're Googling everything about what's um, actually uh, high-quality evidence-based information. Um, so that's the first thing that certainly COPE provides for people. Um, the other things that we're doing, as I mentioned at the very beginning, is looking at um, transforming the way that we provide information. So um, at the moment, you know, you might go along to your health professional and there might be brochures or booklets there. Um, we need to improve the way that we deliver information and customise this. So this is where we've developed d digital screening programs so that um, we can screen women and they can receive instant tailored information about their own emotional and mental health and link them to care. But we're also developing um, a, a new guide that people can download and every month they'll receive information about how they're going um, and what are the challenges that they're going to find in each month of pregnancy in the postnatal period and then linking them to other people's stories so that they know that they're not alone and also evidence-based information and where to get support if they need it. Hmm. That's really, really great. So that's www.cope.org.au. Correct. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for coming on to Brainwaves this week and talking to us during Perinatal Depression and Anxiety Week. It's been really, really informative. Really thank you. Good, good resource for everyone. And, and thank you to Rebecca for helping interview today. Um, you can catch more of our shows at our website, brainwaves.org.au, or you can find podcasts of our show on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, or on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for a new episode of Brainwaves on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.